Um, starting last November, we, uh, not November, starting last uh, fall, we, we launched sort of a, a new chapter in our church. From the time we started, we had a, we had a pretty clear vision of what we were trying to do. Uh, we, we didn't want to just duplicate what happens all over uh, the city. We didn't want to just become another cookie-cutter United Methodist Church. And fortunately, my DS isn't here this morning to hear this, but... Um, we wanted to sort of, we wanted to, since we got to start from the beginning, we didn't, we didn't have to do some of the things that churches just do because you do them because you're a church and there's always a way. We just didn't have to do that. We could start fresh. And so we, we had some ideas of how we wanted to do that. And as we, as we tried to launch the church, we, we've enacted some of those. We got the church going. We started growing. We even got our own building. But what happens with any type of bureaucracy, once it grows to a certain point, then you start trying to maintain the growth and making rules and everything. And before long, you, you shut off growth. And, and so what we wanted to do this over the last year, we spent a lot of time saying, okay, we got going. Now we need to sort of push beyond building something for us and to moving into ministry for the world. Uh, that's, it's, it's so easy for churches to get locked into what, what is for us, you know? Are you doing the programs that feed me? Am I getting something out of the sermon? Do you do the things that I need? And, you know, we hope the church blesses you. You hope that when you come here, God moves your heart and everything. But the church is not for people who already know about God. The church is for people who already know God to learn more about him, to go and share it with people out there. And that's not just my clever idea. That's what I got from, from reading the scriptures, that the way Jesus did ministry, is that there was a bunch of people separated from God. And, and the current religious systems weren't doing it. There wasn't a religious system ever that was doing it correctly of connecting people with God. And so Jesus said, if they're not going to come to me, I'm going to go to them. And that's the amazing thing that we just celebrated at Christmas, that God was willing to come and become one of us, that he was willing to walk with us, talk with us, put himself in our position. And so as we turn to pattern our ministry, we want to do it in a way that reaches out beyond ourselves. A lot of the weakness with, the, with the, the churches over the last century has been that we've become these country clubs. Uh, we've, we've become these, these organizations that are meant to pat ourselves on the back, that aren't we so happy that we are better than everyone else around us? And, and even between Christians, we have debate, and you know, well, my team's better than your team, and we, you know, we stand up when we do this. You sit down, so we're better than you. You, you dip, we pour. We, we're better. Yeah, we have, you, you have pews, we have chairs. Ooh, we, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that we argue about with that, and we miss the whole message. Well, last, last year, part of what we came up with, part of what we are trying to communicate, and I hope I can say it right this time. I, it's my sentence, and I keep messing it up. Uh, part of what we have said is we want to do anything and everything to minister to anyone and everyone we come in contact with. And there's a whole lot wrapped up. There's a year and a half of discussion wrapped up in that little sentence. Anything and everything. In other words, we don't want to make excuses for what we will do, won't do, 
Why? You can cripple a church by listing all the reasons why you shouldn't succeed. I mean, there's lots of them. Any church, any organization, we don't, we're not going to use excuses. We're not going to set limits on God. So we're willing to do anything and everything, even if it's not something that we grew up with, even if it's not something that we've ever done before. We're willing to do anything and everything to minister. This is the important part. Anybody remember what I said? To anyone and everyone. Wow, anyone and everyone. If, if we could actually do that, we, it, would, it would amaze us at, at the things that would happen. And what I thought I would do, you know, anyone, that's a, that's a wonderful phrase, and, and it's beautiful. It's, it's well thought out. I thought of it. It's beautiful and wonderful. <laughs> and, and it would just be great to look great on a banner. It would, but I got thinking, as we're moving into Easter, this time where, uh, where we remember that, that Christ came not only to love us, not only to, to meet us where we are, but to ultimately sacrifice himself for us. I got to thinking, you know, maybe we need to talk a little bit about who anyone and everyone is. Because, you know, the, th- the thing I, I see as I visit with people, the thing I see as I, as I visit in other churches, as I'm in leadership in, our, in different ways, is that we're not very good at the anyone-everyone thing. That all of us have our, our idea of who really belongs and who really doesn't. And I think a lot of people outside the church understand this better than we in the church do. They understand that a lot of times our talk is just that, talk. That we say, come on, open doors, open hearts, come on, be one of us. But they know if they fall into certain categories that it's going to be uncomfortable for them. That, it's gonna, that they're, gonna, they're either going to have to hide who they are or suffer odd looks, and even attacks on who they are. They know that anyone and everyone doesn't always mean anyone and everyone. So I want to just talk about what does anyone and everyone mean? Who, who are we actually looking for? Who is actually welcome in this church? And I'll give you the, if you, if you really are bored by me and you just don't want to come back for the next six weeks to hear me talk about this, I'll give you the punchline. Anyone and everyone, we actually mean anyone and everyone. That means economically, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. That means politically, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're an Obamaite or, or not. It doesn't, matter, uh, it doesn't matter where you live, what economic social background, it, it doesn't matter about your race. It doesn't matter about what bad habits that you have fallen into. It doesn't matter what your sexual preference is. Not... It does not matter. We want you in this place. And I know as I went through some of those, there's some of you that when I said it, you cringed and you went, oh my God, we're not going to let those people in our church, are we? Or even worse, you've grown up with this idea that there are certain people that belong and certain people that don't. And the thing that ran through your mind is, yeah, but that's against the scriptures. Don't misunderstand me. We're not saying, hey, party. Hey, we we want to join you in your sin But we're saying, hey, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God loves you as much as he loves me. And so we want you to be a part of it here. Isn't it ironic 
that the way the church has set itself up is that we say, you know what, we've got this God who has all power, who can transform lives, who can change people. And then we turn around to those people that need it and say, but you can't come until you get it. But where are they going to get it? I mean, we, we, we say, hey, here's where you should be. Here, this is the message. This is the hope. Here's the life. But you're not welcome to it until you can be one of us. Well, they can't be one of us until they can meet that person. That they, and frankly, a lot of them say, I don't want to be one of you. <laughs> so who is anyone and everyone? That's what we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to break it down into different categories. This morning, we're going to talk about the, the basic beliefs and the, the idea of doubting. Because if you grew up like I did, you sort of grew up with the idea that there is this, there is this package of Christianity. And you either swallow the whole pill or go home because you're not welcome unless you can swallow the whole pill. Have you ever had to take one of those like horse pills when you're sick or something? You know, and you, that's the way a lot of us had Christianity fed to us. It's good for you, you know, you know it's going to help you, so just gag it down even if you... And so we, we, we got forced into this idea of... But you know, that doesn't work for a lot of people. And I would, I would suspect that even a lot of you in this room, there is something about the Christian faith, there is something about God, there is something about faith, there is something about the way he exhibits himself, demonstrates himself to us, the way he interacts, there is something about spirituality that you have doubts about. And some of you have dealt with guilt over that. You've never said that out loud because we grew up in a time where they told you, you don't want to ask questions, just shut up. Memorize the Bible verse. But people doubt. Not everybody just wants to swallow the whole pill. We all have questions about who God is. In fact, I will... It's my, under, it's my belief that every one of us doubt. And that doubt is why we're so insecure about talking about our faith. Our, my, our doubt is why we get so uptight about exchanging ideas. It's why we just throw up our, our barriers. When somebody says something we don't like, we throw our little memorized verse at them or we, we throw our, uh, our objection to them. Uh, we just throw it right out there because really every one of us has a doubt. Because we can't see who God really is. We have some experiences of him. We have some learning about him. We have some witness about him, but we, we haven't seen the full package deal. I, I said that this morning to the two kids this morning, and both of them said, I see God all the time. So apparently there's something our children in this church have that we don't get, but um, it ruined my whole children's sermon because it was about <laughs> doubt. And they're like, yeah, I see God all the time. <laughs> okay. Can I come live with you for a little while? <laughs> we have doubts. I mean, look at the way life hits us over and over. How can you not have a doubt? When we see injustice happen, when, when, when there's these hurricanes and, and tsunamis and earthquakes and, and things that, that it, you can come up with your rationalization of it's punishment by God for what... But there's a lot of good people and innocent people and children wrapped up in those ones that are getting punished too, isn't there? You, and you can, there's doubt there. How come sometimes God heals people and sometimes he doesn't? 
How come sometimes it feels like I'm alone even though the preacher says that God's with me all the time? How come if God is love, how come so many of his people are so full of hate? There are lots of questions that people have of this whole thing about Christianity. This whole thing of Jesus. I mean, I get the concept of God, but God being man, there's questions, there's doubt. And I think all of us have it. And we're we're confessed Christians, a lot of us. But the people out there have questions. You know, the church I grew up in had the idea that you didn't come until you, you had it. And that just doesn't make sense to me. In fact, I talk to people about this all the time. If you're waiting until you're ready to come to God, you're going to be waiting a long time. It's never going to happen because you're never going to live up to who he, You can't move forward until you invite him in. You can't move forward until you understand who you You can't move forward. So why, if, if we... If we want to join God in his ministry to the world, if we want to join him in what he wants to do for creation, of redeeming creation, of bringing everyone to him, why wouldn't we open the doors to as many people as possible instead of shutting the door to them and then cursing them for not believing the way we do? Sort of a catch-22 situation, isn't it? But it's the way the church has operated for so many years. Well, I just want to talk to you about, I believe diversity of thought is good. Uh, it's a sign of life. Number one, uh, this will make a lot of you married people feel better, okay? Makes me feel better. Diversity of thought, otherwise known as conflict, argument, (laughs) is actually a sign of life. It's actually a sign of life. So turn to your spouse and say, wow, you love me. I, I knew you did. Because when you're, it's actually a sign of something going on. It's when, when we get these homogenized, cut-down deals and you're sort of Stepford, Stepford wife type people. That you, there's nothing there. And so if, if, if a church is going to be alive and, and vital, it's got to have diversity of thought. It's got to have some, some conflict. I hate it, but that's, that's a sign of life. The, the, the alternative is a dead church, and I've been there too. It's not very fun. Diversity of thoughts. I mean, why are we so afraid of hearing someone else's opinion? Why are we so afraid of someone telling us something that's different from, from, from what we believe? Why is it we get so upset about that? Why do we think we have to beat the, the right answer into them? Why do we throw our little one-verse things at people over and over again? It's because we're we're afraid of doubting. Somehow, deep inside, we think it's wrong to question. We think it's wrong to doubt. Well, we're going to look at a passage this morning that actually there's a person that was pretty close to Jesus that had some doubts. And it's in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And uh, just let me get to give you the setting here. This is uh, in, in the book of Matthew. It's sort of the story of Jesus' ministry as you read it. And if you go back to the beginning of Matthew, it tells the story of how Jesus was, was born. And, there, and Jesus, 
uh, his mother Mary had a cousin named Elizabeth. And uh, about six months before Mary became pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth had a miraculous uh, consummation of her own. Uh, she was barren. She had been wanting to have children for a long time. And she, she was given a, a baby about six months ahead of, of Jesus. Now, Mary and Elizabeth, are our cousins, are close. They both know that their children have this promise to grow up with. They, the children are raised with that knowledge. They know that, that there's special circumstances surrounding their births. They, they get to know each other growing up. John gets started in his ministry ahead of Jesus. What the prophecy for John was is that he was going to be the, the one that prepares the way for who Jesus was. He was going to be the one that announced the, the good news of who Jesus was. And so John began that ministry, and, and it was a powerful ministry. People were coming from all over to hear him. And his message was, man, your life is not the way you want it to be. You need to turn around. You need to, you need to change. You need to repent. Because God, is, God loves you and he has a plan for your life and you're not living into it. And so th this was the mess. And, and there were people flocking to him. There were people that were following him, listening to him. There were people that would just come to hear him. Even the religious leaders and stuff were like, what's going on here? Even Jesus himself came to hear his cousin talk. And at the end of it, John would baptize people. That's why he was called John the Baptist. It's not because he went to that denomination. It was... It was <laughs> Like David the Methodist, John the Baptist, that's not, not that. He would baptize him, and, and when Jesus came, he, he allowed John to baptize him, and that was sort of the initiation of Jesus' ministry. And in fact, when that happened, John, knowing who Jesus was supposed to be, knowing what the word was on him, knowing what his mom and his, his aunt had told him about him, under thinking that he was on the right track, he told his followers, hey, you've been listening to me, and I appreciate that, but that's the one you need to be following. And he said, keep your eyes on that one. Follow that one. Well, Jesus started his ministry then, and lots of things start happening. You can read through it in the in book of Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, John, any of those. They give you a good idea of the kind of thing Jesus did in his ministry. John got arrested uh, for, for his rebellious talk, for, for speaking out as he did. He, he, the church didn't like him. Uh, the religious, the government didn't like him. He ended up in prison. And as you can imagine, when you're in prison, you have a lot of time to think. And uh, one of the things he started to think about is, I'm not sure this is the special life that God planned for me. I mean, how many of you would be willing to sign up for that? Hey, I have placed my hand on your life. I have given you special gifts so that you may go grow up and die in prison. Anybody willing to sign up for that ministry? You know, that John was no different. And so he started to question. In fact, that's what we're going to see here in this passage is, is, is John's questioning of, of who Jesus is. It's uh, Matthew chapter 11, begin in verse 1. We're going to break this into two parts. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. So what did Jesus do? What was his ministry? He taught and he, and he preached. 
He talked to people. He told them about God. That's what preaching is. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things that Jesus was doing. Okay? We have to under... I'll get to that in a minute. I'll finish what I'm going to read. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been waiting for? Are you the one we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? We have to keep in mind, for this, for this time, for this place, these people had an expectation of who the Messiah was going to be. They had lived under the domination of a foreign government. They had lost their religious freedom. They had lost their, their political freedom. They believed that the Messiah was going to come and free them from all of that. I mean, that's what we... They wanted action. They thought God promised us, we're not happy here, so God must want to do it in this way. And they had, they had come up with the way that God was going to do it. And, and it meant that they were going to wipe out the Roman government and they weren't going to have to be prisoners anymore. And in fact, the Romans were going to have to work for them and they could stick it to them after, after all of these years. They would finally be the ones in control rather. And that's what they were looking for. Now, I want you to put yourself in John's position. You have spent your entire life in ministry. You have believed and looked passionately forward to when this Messiah, this conquering hero was going to come. When, when, when the politics get straightened back the way it should be, when, when those wicked Romans finally get their comeuppance for, for all the, the wicked and evil things they have done, and you have preached about it, and you have prayed about it, and you have looked passionately forward to it, and now you are dying in prison, and there is no army being mounted, there is no political gatherings going on. There's not, there's not, any, not any activity other than this guy teaching and preaching. And he says to himself, is this what I was expecting? And I think we all have sort of this question sometimes in our life with who God is with who Jesus is, of what we... There is some point in our life where life hits us where we didn't expect it, and we say to ourselves, wow, am I on the right track? I mean, I've, I've been trying to follow Jesus, and my spouse is suffering and wasting away from cancer. It, am I wasting my time? Should I be looking somewhere else? I have been trying to live my life for, for God, and yet... I cannot even pay for the bills for my family. Am I on the, should I be looking somewhere else? We have this question. Are we doing the right thing? Are we looking in the right place? Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Verse 4, Jesus told him, Well, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. And what he's doing here, he's actually quoting from, from an Old Testament passage. But tell him, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. In other words, Jesus says, John, I know you're in a difficult place. I know this isn't what you were looking for. I know this isn't what you were expecting, but dude, look at the evidence. Look at what is happening around you. 
Look at, look at the fruit of what's happening. If, if you're, di- just, just examine that. And that, friends, is my belief of why it is so important we open our doors to people with questions and doubts to the church. Because if there is ever going to be a place where we can say, dude, look around. That one over there answered prayer. That one over there was, got fired. Something happened a couple days later. That one over there, their life still sucks, but they have the greatest attitude and peace about them. I don't know where they get it from. I mean, what better place to point to the evidence of what God does in the world than a group of believers that are... So why should we cut them out just because they don't believe the same things? And guess what? If you... If you have a strong belief about, why do you care what someone else thinks about it? I mean, why is that threatening to you? It doesn't bother God. We don't have to defend him. I mean, he's done pretty well for himself over the years. A lot of that without you around to advise him and to rescue him. So why do we get so... What better place for people to be What better place for them to see the evidence of what God can do in people's lives? That's the value, that's the gift of a body of Christ. Is that with the diversity, with the the different ideas in it, we people can come in and there's just this feeling here that there's something different here. There people act different, people respond different. There I've heard some things that have happened to people that catch my why not invite them in? We want your doubts. We want your questions. In fact, we start two Bible studies this week that are aimed just at that. Starting point in Alpha are aimed just at that. We know you have questions. If you don't, you're just, you haven't done any study. If you don't have some question about faith, you just haven't thought about it. Because if you do spend any time reading the scriptures, if you spend any time reading about an Old Testament God, a New Testament, you are going to have some doubts. It's okay to ask those questions, and that's what we try to do. We try to give you a place to ask those questions without somebody punching in the nose or telling you to go to another church or, or telling you that you're a sinner and once you become a real Christian, then come back to church. We, there's, that's what we try to provide. We want your questions. We want, and I know there are people in this room where you, you have a concept of God and you can understand part, but you're just not really willing to take the whole chunk off right now. And I want to tell you that's okay. Here's the way I understand it. God loves each one of us. He knows each one of us individually. In fact, the Bible tells us he knows even minute, insignificant details of us. This is how intimate he is with us. He even knows the number of hairs on our head. So if he knows that, he knows our hopes, our dreams, our, 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 he relates to each of us individually. And when he came, he came to, to create a bridge between us and his father. And it's his desire not for us to take some gigantic leap from zero to a hundred all at one time, but to just move closer. To take a step. For so long in the church, we have spent time trying to tell people that Christianity is a big decision where it's just a little step after little step after little step after little step. 
I hope you have the time where you can remember, this is when I became a Christian, but that was just a step. If you haven't moved forward since then, you're behind. Faith is a journey. And what God does is he just wants us to take the next step. For some of us, that's, I'm not even sure there is a God. I'm willing to think, okay, there may be. All right, there's your, that person is in God's will. Why? Because they're moving forward on their faith journey. They're not there, but they're in God's will because they're doing what they, the next, even if, and God doesn't compare us against each other. Well, that person just is, that person has been a Christian for, he doesn't do that. It's about each one of us. Are you taking the next step in your faith journey? Are you moving forward? With what you know, with what you understand, with who you are, are you moving forward? And if you are, you're right on the path that you need to be. Even if you can't bite off the whole piece. That's the kind of church we want to be. And it's reflected on that wall back there. You can all turn around and look for a minute. See, that? those of you that have been around for a while, you, you might know some of this. See all those crosses there? That started as we were in an ugly building. We needed it to look like a church. So, <laughs> But uh, that became a symbol for us of who we're trying to be as a church. There's a bunch of different crosses there. They're all crosses. They're all a signal about the same thing. They're, they're all about the same idea, the same concept, but there's a uniqueness about them. Some of them are fancy. Some of them are, are rural and, and rough. Some of them are hard. Some of them are, I mean, but there's a diversity there. And when we moved up here, that became a symbol of who we wanted to be, that we are all on the same path, that we all have the same goal, but it's going to look different in other people's lives that there's a diversity that actually brings a beauty to the body of Christ. Now, the church would be boring if we all thought the same way. I mean, there's nights I'd fantasize, what if I just had a bunch of mindless people that would just follow me and do whatever I ask? But, you know, it would be boring. What, we, diversity is what brings beauty it's why we look at nature and we're so blown away. It's not because there's one kind of tree or one kind of flower. It's, it's the breadth of it. It's the same in our, in our churches. Diversity brings beauty. And we want to welcome it here. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for dealing with each of us on our own, not comparing us to other people. And God, a lot of us have questions, we have doubts. We, we don't get this whole thing. We, and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to us. And we know you know that. And so our prayer is just help us to move forward. Help us to, to take the next step. Help us to take what we know and act on that. And we thank you for a place that you've given us where we have great examples of your power, of your strength. We thank you for for your relentless pouring out of blessings on us, for that unending love that you share with us. And God, whoever walks in these doors, whoever, anyone and every, help us to welcome them with the same passion and the same love that you welcomed us. 
pray that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.